Welcome to Therapist Uncensored, a podcast where therapists freely speak their minds about real life matters. Hi, welcome back to Therapist Uncensored. I'm Ann Kelly. And I'm Sue Marriott. And occasionally, we like to take a concept and do a deep dive. And that's what we're going to do today about the difference between depression and demoralization. So, Sue, what is demoralization? I think we all know what depression is, at least theoretically. But tell us a little bit about demoralization. Well, how about if I step even half a step back further than that and talk about why we got interested in the subject? And for me, some of what it was was looking at activists that had lost their verve and hearing from multiple people in multiple formats like needing to get off Twitter and needing to get off of social media because they it was having some effect and they kept they kept saying it was depressing and I think our country in some ways because of our divides we talk about being depressed and I just want to be more accurate about what I think is happening from a macro level, but then also uh, on an individual level. So for listeners out there, the difference between these things, it makes a big difference because what you want to do about it takes you in two different directions. That makes a lot of sense because when, yes, we can be depressed about what's going on in our culture, no matter which side of the line you fall, blue or red, there can be many avenues for feeling depressed the last couple of years. But oftentimes that's not really what we're meaning. What we're meaning is we feel like we, just can't have an effect. It's like we, it's, we've we gone into a place that no matter what we do, we can't trust our media, we can't trust our politicians. So there's this feeling of, I just feel like I have no effect or a little bit of feeling of hopelessness. That's right. And it is, there's a French term. And those of you that speak French know what I'm talking about when I don't. But it, but it means dropping your hands to your side. And it's a good sort of image of like when you just, your hands just drop to your side because you've what is that up. French term? <laughs> <laughs> so, so that'll be the quiz at the end. How about that? <laughs> but the point is that dropping your hands to the side is that where you're no longer active. You've given up and you feel ineffective and not able to make a change about whatever is bothering you. So it's gotten to be a, it's, it's like when you get to a place where you just, feel like, ugh, no matter what I do, nothing's really going to happen. So why bother? That's right. It's definitely the why bother. The why bother. What's the point? You know, there's a sense of it's not effective anyway. So why should I march? Or why should I talk to my partner? Or why should I try to exist? Kind of. It's a collapse, if you will. And the collapse can happen just like anything, I guess. The collapse can happen situationally because of something that's happened into your life. You mentioned a relationship, maybe in general, you don't feel that way, but you're involved in a relationship that no matter what you do and how you approach your partner, you really just kind of go, and I can see that in couples a lot, where no matter what I do, it's not going to have an effect on him. So kind of, I get to this place like, ugh, why bother? That's a sense of being demoralized. Right, versus... Being depressed is an actual clinical, you know, depression is overused in our culture, I think. But the actual clinical depression is a physiological state. You can often see it in someone's face. They lose movement. Their cheeks get a little slack. Their perception of the world changes a little bit. There are, I mean, it's a physiological situation. And one of the differences, how you can tell the difference between 
demoralization and depression. One of them is, is the, are those things like someone who's demoralized won't have that physical slackening and that like an elephant on your chest. It's not basically demoralization can lead to depression, but they are really are two separate categories. And one of the things that I think is interesting is with demoralization, there's this, you can't, as you're anticipating events, you can't see a positive, you know, like you're dreading, <laughs> you have anticipatory dread instead of anticipatory excitement, right? So what you're putting in the space between now and when I'm active, when I actually do something will be negative. Uh, there's a lot of negative self-attribution. There's a lot of shame related to it. It's like, why go to the kite festival? The parking will be terrible and it'll be so crowded and then it's hot. And does that, I mean, for any of you out there, does that sound familiar at all? <laughs> so it's kind of this overarching sense of sort of dread and grouchiness. Like it's just gonna be too hard. As opposed to what you were mentioning before, depression is really uh, more of a physiological response that says, I can't get my body up to go because I'm physiologically feel a weight on my chest. And like you said, they can be related, but they're not, they're not the same thing. And it's important to draw a distinction between the two. That's right. And there's actually, if you, you know, not to get too technical, but there's lots of kinds of depression that are clinical depression, you know, like there's dysthymia, you know, there's low grade depression, there's manic depression, there's all kinds of things like that. But what we mean by it is, so I was just talking about anticipatory dread. Well, when you're depressed, you have that too. Too, right. You don't want to go out. You know, it might be lethargy or it also might be irritability mm -hmm. is another way that depression manifests. But the difference is, is, if I get my little rear end up and go to the kite festival, <laughs> if I'm clinically depressed, I'm going to stay depressed. Right. I'm going to be at the kite festival. And I have this image of what was the character in Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore. I'm going to be depressed. And when I get there, I'm still going to walk slow. My tail's still going to be between my legs. And just the journey of putting one foot in front of the other may feel really taxing, right? And yet, if if we're feeling just more demoralized, like you were mentioning, and it's like, oh my God, the dread, how hard it's going to be. Everything seems really, really difficult. But once we get there... That's right. Once you get there, you can begin to get into it and you can begin to enjoy it. So that's one of the differences is that, yeah, we do lose interest in both cases. But once we get over that hump of actually doing something, demoralization looks like you can kind of perk up, but then you might slide back into it later, whereas depression tends to be a little more persistent and it's treated differently. And I want to get into the treatment of it in just a moment. But here's the, the clinical part that is interesting. And from my perspective is that a lot of people think they're depressed mm -hmm. and they, their identity is around depression. And for those of us, for all of us who have actually experienced some real depression in our lives, it's surprising, you know, it's not a, a moral state, right? It's not that I, I want to isolate because I'm being selfish. There really is a sense of really not being able to move. Right. Or, or you know, the hopelessness and the negative outlook. And also we read people differently when we're depressed we like when uh, you're at the kite festival and for those of you guys who can't image this there Austin has a kite festival at Zilker Park every year and there's 
how many about a bazillion people it, and to get there <laughs> is just the biggest pain in right. the it's very cool when you get there because there's like thousands of kites in the air mm-hmm. uh, but again like all of a sudden I have this flash of like yeah your kite gets in the air but then it like gets all tangled up with all the other kites and all this stuff. <laughs> so but again so the difference is that clinically speaking why this is important is because if we can begin the clue in to demoralization i think of it as like this is going to sound weird, but the, in some ways things have been too easy. It's not that I've had a major loss and I am depressed about a loss maybe that I haven't mourned. It's like, honestly, I think of kind of white privilege. And when we've had things come pretty easy to us, we've gone through school, we're working, what is that talking head song with the he's banging on his arm and saying, this is not my wife, this is not my house, you know, so that Basically, it's an existential crisis. It's not so much of a physical medical concern. It's moral. It's spiritual. It's holistic about what is my meaning and purpose. Right. It's like existential in a way. Like, you know, what's going to happen when I get there? Why should I bother? Is it worth it? And having a hard time feeling like anything has sort of like enough meaning to make it worth it. That's right. And the treatment for that is different. You know, with uh, clinical depression, it, it responds quite well to antidepressants. But if you put somebody who is demoralized on antidepressants, it's going to be more demoralizing <laughs> because you don't necessarily perk right, you know, have the same positive pop of an effect that often some antidepressants and psychotherapy can help you with when you're depressed. Or if you're hoping, because maybe the description we're giving of this reminds you of somebody that is in your life and you have some anticipation that antidepressants is going to somehow shift that into a more rosy, positive disposition, it's unlikely to do that, right? That's exactly right. And so what I was meaning by things being too, um, and again, this is just me speculating, but this is a way I've thought about it and talked about it that has seemed to click with some people, is that you know, where's the challenge? Where's the meaning? You know, we're not soldiers fighting for our country or having to chop wood and build our house or overcoming struggle and then being able to have the earned self-esteem that comes with overcoming struggle and being able to look back and feeling proud of what we've done and being able to sort of generate competence and self-efficacy by action and by doing something. So what you're speaking of, Sue, is is we were talking about demoralization can happen situationally, but you're talking about kind of more of a ongoing chronic disposition to be demoralized and how that comes about. It makes me think about kind of today's culture of overparenting, and it's unintentional. We want to aspire our kids to a direction of self-sufficiency and boy, they can accomplish anything they want. There's nothing like telling somebody you can do anything you want. Yeah, that's a recipe for feeling pretty bad later. Yeah, really, <laughs> like, oh, okay. if I could do every, anything I want and I'm sitting here, you know, watching YouTube, I must be, you know. Right, right. Like, okay, yeah, everybody thinks I have these great skills. I probably don't. And yeah, yeah. But what you're saying is, is that sometimes in our desire to give things to the people we love and to see them not suffer, we have to really tolerate what happens in our own body when our children suffer or our children struggle. And sometimes that's almost impossible to do. So we end up taking the struggles for them so that they don't experience it and then explaining to them 
in words what they need to know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like has grit. You should really have grit. Yeah. Let me teach really. you. Let me That's tell you. <laughs> I'm going to wrap it in a bow and hand it to you. Here's your grit so that I really want you to have. <laughs> so next time, let me get you out of this jam this time. But next time. And so what we're talking about is the power of grit in order to develop. Uh, so the opposite, if we're talking about demoralization is not as having hopelessness. And lack and, of action, passivity. Helplessness, a sense of actually incompetence, a feeling that you don't feel quite competent. Then let's think about what we need to develop just the opposite of that. And that's the sense of agency, the sense of competence, the sense of an ability that I can go through something really hard, struggle and master it. And that in and of itself helps us really develop that sense of competence in ourselves that we can have an effect that we can go through that long struggle and hard thing. And at the other end of that, we'll feel that sense of mastery. And you just can't talk somebody in or tell them about mastery. They have to go through it. They have to get that sense of, I struggled, I came, I struggled, I conquered, and I made it. And if we don't have that experience, or we're not able to tolerate that with the people in our lives, namely our children, then they don't get to develop that sense of grit. Absolutely. I mean, I think of, you know, it's cliche, but the butterfly coming out of the chrysalis and that it's struggling and struggling and struggling. And of course, you want to help it. And if you open the chrysalis for it, it really basically the butterfly can't thrive because the struggle of getting out of the chrysalis itself is part of its muscle development to later then be able to fly. And when you open it for them, because it's painful to watch the struggle, you end up really disabling the person that we care about. And so it's it's counterintuitive. And I think a lot of people endorse this idea. But like you're saying, Anne, it's really actually hard to do it to see people that we love struggle and then to just sit and watch the butterfly, you know, fight <laughs> when you can see that you could, oh, oh, it's just like this one thread. If I just move this one thread, it'll, it'll all be good. <laughs> oh, my God. I had that. Ex- just bringing back that exact experience with my daughter in one of those kits that you, you do when you watch that. <laughs> I can remember having that exact same feeling. And I can relate to it as a parent. It is so hard to watch our kids suffer and not when we know and uh, our temptation to take care of it and then tell them about our hard times. As if somehow us sharing our hide times is going to make the difference for them. Right. Really, it just makes them feel bad. That's so true. You know, and then let's like bring it down to, to the individual level too, right? So if you are listening and you're someone who identifies with this notion of demoralization, again, I think our country is somewhat demoralized, which is really we want to get back into a more active place. And one of the solutions to demoralization is to move and to try and to solve and to swing, you know, be a wily coyote, even if you go off the cliff, you know, be swinging, 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 swinging and uh, running your legs and trying to catch that roadrunner. The roadrunner. Try to right, catch right, right. the roadrunner is better. And this is true. I mean, this is a little bit of a uh, side thing, but it's even true with trauma that when we respond to trauma in a passive way, it's more of a right brain, like negative orientation of that there's no hope coming, there's no help coming, that we are going to have worse effects on our body than if, even if we're wrong, but we think, if I can just keep, if I'm in the foxhole and I can just keep shooting these guys, I'm sure the cavalry's right around the corner, and if I can just keep trying and keep trying and keep trying, that person is going to do better than the person in the foxhole who's covering their head and saying, oh my gosh, this is hopeless. Yeah, I can do nothing. I have to hide. This is overwhelming. 
That's right. And one of the solutions, if you're identifying as a demoralized person or know someone that is, is to begin to go from passive to active. And that might mean a quarter step of do, of trying something new, of looking at your assertiveness, find a place to set boundaries. So here's an example. One might complain about something somewhere. You know what I mean? Like one might ask for accommodations, like, for example, if they're cold, that they might actually ask to get a blanket or, you know what I mean, like basically change the environment to take care of oneself when normally one would, because you're in a passive state and it doesn't matter anyway, you're not going to be active in changing your environment or asking for help. That's such a good point. And I guess another way to maybe describe that and maybe to see, gosh, is what my grouchiness about going to the kite festival, is that just I'm having a grouchy day or do I tend to have a demoralized disposition? Think about how it is you're complaining. Are you complaining in a way because you're trying to conquer the difficulty? (laughs) (laughs) If you're just like, oh, it's so hard. It's so bad. It's going to take so long. You know, if if what your observations that you're making really are just about expressing dissatisfaction and focusing on how hard it is. And the external. And the external. That's likely actually an aspect of demoralized approach. And if instead to think about it. So demoralizes you can't anticipate the positive So you're focused on the negative. So to shift that, it isn't, even if you're talking about the traffic, are you going, oh, traffic's so hard. So what we could do is, so what you're saying is if we're really taking it from a place of this is going to be hard, so how do I master that so that I can get somewhere that could bring me joy, then you're in this active state of movement. And you're actually literally able to kind of move a static state of demoralization to a more active way of thinking if you recognize it. That's right. I mean, the key there, as you're saying, is coping. Mm-hmm. So demoralization is about the inability to cope. And so what is coping? And coping is just what you're describing. It's either that we address the problem from like an outside way, like, okay, I'm going to take an Uber. That way I don't have to worry about the cars parking and stuff like that. Right. We're going to solve We're going to solve we're gonna it. Solve it. We're going to solve it externally or that's one way of coping. And another way of coping, there's, you know, roughly, these are just ways to think of it, is more internal. Like, okay, I'm going to, I know, I'm going to just build in that it's going to be 30 minutes to park and probably 20 minutes to walk there. And so the Kite Festival, I won't really get there. I'm going to leave at one, but I won't really get there till two. And that's when the fun will begin instead of being frustrated that getting there is so long. So, in Mm -hmm. other words, it's a long way of saying that we change things internally and we change our expectations and we begin to really, it doesn't even matter what it is, but where it's an effort. The the point isn't success or not. It's effort that we're making the effort to change things either inside ourselves or outside ourselves. Now we're coping. Now we're active. It's going to help with demoralization and boom, <laughs> there <laughs> you're you going to feel better. <laughs> oh, that's actually, you know what? A good point to think about as you were talking about it, We're giving suggestions, and it can sound like an easy shift, but to think of it, if one's been raised throughout their life in a sense of not really feeling like that they have agency or that they can have an effect or maybe things are done or they haven't had to struggle, and that's I find that sometimes in working with people who have had maybe parenting styles done for them where they really didn't feel like they had a voice. No matter what they did, they would have no voice, or everything came so easily they didn't have to struggle. You really can develop a character that 
tends to be demoralized. And that is not the easiest shift to make. And so we're talking about trying to make some shifts, but to really recognize that this actually can be a really difficult thing to move. I really appreciate you saying that because it put right back in the focus some of what our podcast is about related to attachment. And if you think about it, here's a pop quiz for our listeners. On our attachment spectrum, if you haven't heard us talk about that, we talk about it in a couple of podcasts, but on the attachment spectrum where we can either be in the middle green, which is um, grounded and secure, or to the left, which is the blue, which is more dismissive avoidant, or to the right, which is red, which is the preoccupied anxious. And we can begin to feel this demoralization, I think is going to be more greatly associated with what side? Here's the question for our listeners. Do you think it's more dismissive avoidant or do you think it's more preoccupied? Wait, let's leave a pause for a second and just ding, 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 ding. So my association is that it is definitely going to be more on the blue side because these are the kids when they're little that have given up hope. Right. And so the whole dropping your arms down and like not even trying and not, it's, uh, I don't want to do the hope and disappointment and hope and disappointment and hope and disappointment, which is what the preoccupied side is kind of more associated with. So instead, I'm going to just not even try because what's, why bother? What's it matter if I, yeah, why right. bother? <laughs> but we can hear that as defensive, right? Because mm-hmm. the re, to bother and to hope, is more vulnerable. And yet what we're saying is it's also going to make you feel a whole lot better to, I, I know I think of clients who say, you know, why should I want that way? If I know I'm not going to get her, if I'm not sure I'm going to get it, it's just easier just not to even want it. Right, right. Why, why should I even bother to, to work for if I can't have it and I have to experience hope and the loss of it? Eh, not going to do that. That sucks. That sucks. <laughs> so why even have it? And so that stays in sort of that disconnected, non-hope place. But underneath it, so you think you're staying optimistic, like why well, hang out to something I can't get? Just blow that off. So but, and, and why should I hope for something I can't have? <laughs> <laughs> tell me. Tell me. Tell me. Why hope for something that I can't have? Because in I can answer that. In the aspect of hope, you have desire. And you have wanting, and you have interesting, (laughs) and you have connection, and without desire and hope, right? Then you really don't have an ability to push forward and have the opportunity of it happening, and so you miss out of all sorts of just opportunity for creating in in the process. So yeah, it's hard to have passion if there's no hope or there's no desire, or there's no wanting or longing or yearning or all of those words that will make some of you out there cringe <laughs> that might that might lean blue. Absolutely. And so it's interesting to actually try to make sure to distinguish between depression and demoralization because really some people can have this chronic form of depression, but if you have chronic demoralization, that's actually in some ways well, if you treat it the same, you might be really, really missing the mark. And I, I, to be really specific, I can think of different times in my practice before I understood the distinction of really trying to help somebody by not hitting the demoralization. And for example, one of the classic issues of demoralization, as you, like you mentioned, is an existential crisis. It's just like, I just don't have any meaning. Why bother? It just doesn't bring me the feeling of meaning. So some people actually, it's not even situational. They just don't feel like they have meaning in the world or that they can create meaning in the world. And that is a sign of depression. 
but the, if it's not paired with a lot of the other symptoms, it might really be more of a sense of demoralization. And you can't just talk somebody into that. Well, you know what? Then go out there and get a volunteer job and you'll feel better. Because that's not actually, until you actually help somebody understand that what's missing for themselves is that their own experience of holding want. They might show up at the volunteer job and guess what? Doesn't feel any better. Why bother? It may actually exacerbate demoralization. But when you can talk with somebody, yourself, your loved one, or a client that you're working with, that actually holding hope and wanting is part of what they have to learn to do so that when they go to the volunteer program, they have to actually let themselves move on that so to even have that experience be meaningful. All right, and this is important because demoralization is associated with suicidal ideation more than depression, surprisingly. Yes. So this is not a small matter, and it's not like it's depression light. Okay, so given that dealing with demoralization could be that you just don't feel like, why bother, you're not really going to have an effect. Being able to do something that brings meaning and really find meaning is probably one of the core things to intervene on. And it might be that we just do, again, I mentioned like quarter steps or half steps, small steps. And I'm thinking about all you activists out there that have given up and gone home. You know, I want to, this is an example, like, let's not, like, where's your spark? Where's your passion? You might not be able to change things at a higher level that you're looking at. But, you know, what about your local politics? What about your school board? What about something in your neighborhood that you could do something about a sidewalk or what have you? But the notion is, and this is, goes back to neurobiology, moving from this more passive, things are happening to me, right brain experience, which tends to be associated with more of the negative affects, to a left brain approach, interested, curious perspective, which tends to be associated with more positive affects. So just that one thing. So here's a silly example of that. If like a kid sees a bug and it's still, they'll be like, ooh, it has six legs. Oh, look at the hair on its leg. You know, they're in this more positive state approaching the bug. But guess what happens when that bug starts moving? <laughs> it's like, ah! You know, people are screaming and jumping up on chairs and there's a really big difference that passive state and moving away from something is very different than it's the same bug. It's just moving or not moving, right? So if we can approach either our own mental state in that same way that we do a bug, which is like, ooh, oh, I notice when that person said that I deflated. Right, or, right. Or I got really excited about that for a moment and then I don't know what happened to it, but I popped my own bubble. <laughs> you know, But like that kind of interest is moving into a much more exploratory, curious place, which is definitely something on this podcast that we always encourage. Absolutely, absolutely. And so we're trying to break this down into even very, very small steps of being interested, even being interested in how the deflation feels inside your chest. Uh-huh. Like, be interested, like like the six-legged little creature with the hair. Like, what happens in your face, in your jaw, in your stomach, in your gluteus, in your, in your rear end, in your legs with these different feelings? And you just begin to explore and be curious. And then the same thing, again, when you're excited. It's like, how does it feel? Let's take a picture of your body. And that automatically moves you to a le- more of a slightly left-oriented 
active position. So that's that's what we're basically communicating today is the depression is very serious and there's really good treatment for it. And this demoralization is something to begin to differentiate and begin to move. And really what's nice about this is that it's in that way, it's similar to depression because we want, we never, it's not like the flu when you're depressed and you go to bed, you know, with the flu, you need to go to bed because then your body needs to heal. But with depression, you're going to bed and putting the covers over your head are, is not going to help you not be depressed. Right. The, the, the inactivity, the withdrawal, and especially with both depression and demoralization, the, the way that you interpret it is really, really, really important. So if you're saying, I am hopeless, it is helpless, and you're stating those things instead of recognizing that as a symptom of your state rather than the way life is. If, if you're seeing it as this is the way life is, life is helpless, I'm helpless, then you are going to go more flat and under the covers and to really recognize no matter what, action is really, really essential. And so one last weird little tip, <laughs> and I don't know where I heard this, I'm not even going to pretend like it's some sort of science, I just heard it somewhere, is that if you, one, if you talk to yourself out loud that that's a form of action and it's going to help. Especially using your name. That's what I was going to say. Exactly. <laughs> <Tell it. laughs> so so uh, I could hear myself saying, Sue, you know, that's not true. Why, why are you thinking those things? Or, you know, like trying to out loud talking to yourself. It really does have an effect. Or, and listen to yourself, you know. And so if you are describing yourself as a person, I'm a grouchy person, I da-da-da-da, Instead, have some, like what Sue was saying, have some active curiosity. Why is it every time I think about doing something, the only thing I can do is complain about how hard it is? And instead of just saying, well, that's who I am, which is the passive looking at the bug, you know, really go, why am I doing this? Maybe I have this issue and let me just sort of jump into action because I don't have to land there. That's awesome. So thank you so much for listening today and for finding us. We really hope that you can think of somebody to share this with. And if I was on the receiving end of this podcast, I would maybe scratch my head. <laughs> but um, yeah, if you got this in your email from a friend, you might go, hmm. <laughs> but hey, you know, communication is good. It will make them be active and, and listen to something. So that's a good thing. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. And before we close, I want to remind our listeners to rate and review us. We'd love to hear from you. Oh, and by the way, we just saw, we hadn't looked in a little while, and we just saw that we have a lot more ratings than we have thanked. So we're going to get on the uh, horn there and thank some of you. Some of you that have, have really stopped your day and taken time to give us review. We really, really appreciate it. And let's also, just to throw out the reminder, we've got a conference coming up in Austin, Texas on April 7th. And it is with David Elliott. Healing Adult Attachment, the Three Pillars of Integrative Care is what it's called. And it's going to be so good. We've already got people signed up and going to be really fun. It is state-of-the-art uh, psychology today called his book a breakthrough in the treatment for attachment and even said, went so far as to say that every clinician should read this and it would help their treatment for many people, not just people with attachment disorders. So we're looking forward to come, come and join us and love to meet everybody at that time. All right. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you around the bin. You know, it's been a while since we've done a quick shout out to some of you who have reached out to us and given us reviews on our, on the podcast players. So very quickly, just going to mention a couple of people not necessarily everybody because there's too many, but uh, there's a few people that left some really, really nice stuff. And so we want to say thank you. One of which was Hello Kitty. And he, he or she says that, among other things, so much signal to noise on this podcast. It never feels pandering. You never feel like you're being talked down to. It feels like a session with an expert, in parentheses, 
probably very expensive therapist for free. Please make more. Thank you. Uh, R.S. Ware Jokin T is a 76-year-old man or woman uh, who says that they are learning a lot. Keep it coming. Oh, Jesus Christ left us a message. Very nice. T-M-Y-E. Thank you. Libby W. 28 was a graduate student. And she mentioned that academia can feel cold and she's learning a whole lot in these podcasts that she's not learning in her counseling program. So um, she really appreciates it's both for her clients and her own personal growth. It's totally the point. Gatsby one. Thank you, Luzaka. Thank you. Uh, Just another white girl. Very appreciative. Is not a therapist, but uh, she's learning a lot about forces that drive human behavior and how to cope. Sarah, A-T-X-I-L. Love Tina Bryson. And one more I'll mention, recent one, Anna S. Analytical mentions that she was going to share, she was going to consider a career change, but that after listening to some of these episodes, and she just did it on random, that she was so inspired that it cemented her resolve to go for it. So thank you, everybody that are just even giving us ratings without reviews, but also the reviews. It really makes a big difference and keeps us going. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson.